Well, happy Mother's Day. When you think about it, Mother's Day, Father's Day, days that we take time in our culture to say thanks to people are really filled with a lot of mixed emotions. I woke up this morning thinking a lot of thoughts of thankfulness and gratitude for my mom, for my mother-in-law, for my wife. But not everyone in the world woke up thinking thankful thoughts because some people didn't have a great experience. Uh, some, some moms feel heavy about their kids even today. And I think that when you think about motherhood, fatherhood, you probably experience a, a, a full range of emotion, don't you? You think if, if you're a mom, you've had the greatest experiences of joy and you've also had probably the deepest feelings of pain. And so when Mother's Day comes, a lot of those just kind of flood back. And I, and I, I thought today how that the grace of God and the goodness of God overarches all of that. And that in this life, there is a place where we finish and we're with the Lord. And He reconciles everything. And He makes everything right. And He forgives and, and, and encourages. And we have so much in spite of the challenges we face to look forward to, and we have so much to give thanks for. Well, this morning we're going to be the very last part of Philippians chapter 3, and then we'll take a break, and then we're going to jump into chapter 4 in a little bit. Uh, next Sunday I'll be going to the East Coast. Some of you know Matt Campbell. He is being ordained for gospel ministry at a church back there, so I'll be preaching back then. Pastor Mike We'll be preaching next Sunday, so we look forward to hearing from him. I'll have to hear by audio, but uh, we'll look forward to that next week. The Apostle Paul compares the life that we have as a race. It's, there's a beginning, there's a process, and then there's a conclusion when we press across the tape. And, and a lot of times we feel, yeah, I, I think life is like a race. It's like I get up, it's a rat race. And when you wake up on Monday morning, even though you feel like, I don't want to get out of bed and I don't want to get my feet on the floor, it's just like the whole world is at a breakneck speed. And I think that he gives us this imagery, this picture, which I'm so thankful that Paul does. He, he illustrates, I think it was Aristotle that said that people think in pictures. And so this, this athletic contest really gives us a good picture of what life is like and what the race is like. And he's writing a letter to his friends in the city of Philippi to encourage them. And so when you think about this as a, a book in the Bible, Philippians, you say, well, that's a book with chapters and verses. It's really a personal letter to his friends to encourage them. And really the, the overriding theme is that in every circumstance of life, every trial, every difficulty, every blessing, we can rejoice. And that is what is unique about the Christian life. It is probably the thing that will distinguish you more than, than anything else is by joy. Uh, it's a fruit of love, love, joy, peace. And so he is challenging them on this very fact. You can, in spite of what's going on right now, because I think as you look back toward this last week and you look forward to the next week, there are a lot of things that were hard that would tend to, to rob you of your joy. 
And, and we can let that happen very, very quickly to put us into a downward spiral. So as you think about your personal experiences over this last week or the things that you wonder about what are going to happen this next week, we take these things to heart. So let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. And Paul, Paul writes to his friends, and he's describing this race. Last week we said the, the end of the race and the goal is Christ, and it is being with Christ, and it, and it is perfection. It is that we are completed in Him. And he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now let's skip down to the last two verses here where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So the race is life. We talked about that last, last Sunday, how that there's a point at the beginning and there's an end where you cross the tape, cross the finish line, and all that is in between is this race that we're engaged in. And the goal is perfection. You think, wow. I mean, that just immediately paralyzes. You think, well, perfection, what hope is there? And this is exactly what Jesus said in, in chapter 5 of Matthew, where he said, be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. So be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. So perfection is the goal. So to realize what God is working in your life is, is probably now the most important thing that you will address. You think, well, why should I pursue perfection? Why should I pursue this goal? Why should I even run hard? Because I get so discouraged in the race. Why should I press on? And I would say, first of all, you press on because that's what you were created for. And when you pursue that for which you were created. In other words, God had a design for your life. And when you pursue that, you will find the maximum fulfillment. When you pursue Him, you will also encourage all those around you. You will give hope to the world and point to a future. And ultimately, you will please God. The text that we read here in verse 21, and we'll put it up on the screen here, by the power that enables Him, the power that enables him. Just that phrase, the power that enables him. And so when we see God making us perfect in this process, it reminds me of the, uh, the, the impossibility that uh, you've seen the, the picture before, the uh, kind of the, uh, the idea that the turtle is on the top of a fence post. Have you seen that before? A turtle on the top of a fence post. And what's the first question that comes to your mind? 
when you see a turtle on the top of a fence post. How did he get there? Because <laughs> he didn't get there by himself. <laughs> well, that's the way it is with God's grace, is there is no way you can be perfect. There is no way that you can come to perfection or realize the goal that God has for your life apart from His grace. Typically, I think this, that we depend upon God's grace when we initially get become a Christian. In other words, if we go back to this, the beginning of the race, the sound of the gun, and we, we, call, we would call that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. In other words, I believe upon Him. Then what takes place is in a moment he justifies me. We call this the doctrine of justification. Justification is when, when God declares me righteous, even though I'm a sinner. Because the work of his son, he declares me righteous. Justification. That's the beginning. And that's all of his grace. At the very end of the race, we call it glorification. And that is when he changes my body. At the end of verse 20, we, we read that he, he transforms us. We're going to be in a perfect place called heaven. I will have a perfect body. There will be no sin around me. It's going to be wonderful. And we look forward to it. And that's what he talks about. We long for this. We press eagerly for this. We're racing for this to be one day away from all of the pain and the sorrow and the hurt, the strained relationships, all the things this past week that would cause you to have sorrow will be in His presence. Glorification. Now, everything in the middle is where we are right now. And we call that sanctification, which is the, the progressive realization of perfection. In other words, we're, we're growing into maturity. And I think that here's where the Christian mindset can break down. We become a Christian and say, well, that's all of God. He saved me. But Lord, I'll take it from here. And so we just, we just kind of grind out life without God and without His grace. Well, I know I'm saved by grace and I'll get to heaven by grace and I know it's God's help, but I'm just going to kind of live this Christian life. But it's most important that we understand that His grace is most essential every single day. And it is impossible to live apart from that. By the power that enables Him, this is His grace. And so last week we started in on five gifts of grace, and I'm kind of digressing from this to, to give you what I feel, five gifts that God gives to every Christian and He gives you these to help you grow and to help you run the race. And so we're going to try to answer the question this morning, how does a Christian grow? How do you mature? How do you develop? How do you get stronger? And I would say it is this, it is by grace. The same way you became a Christian is the same way you live. It is by grace through faith. Now, when we give a gift, there, there's a gift that is handed to a person, then it's, it's free to them. There was a cost involved, but it's free. It's theirs when they receive it. And so there are gifts that we have and possess, but we don't exercise. We don't 
discipline ourselves. And I would say this. You've heard the expression before, the disciplines of grace. Grace is free. Grace is from God. Grace is what God lavishes upon you. Grace is what God pours all over you. But grace is also something you need to receive and you need to engage your faith regularly in that. So the five gifts of grace to help you grow. The first we said was the Holy Spirit. And God gives every single believer the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left the earth, he said to his disciples, I'm I'm leaving you. I'm going to come back for you. But as I leave, I'm going to give you my spirit. And he's called the comforter. He's called the helper. So the Holy Spirit indwells me 24-7. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every single believer. Every single person who has said, I trust in Jesus Christ. I believe in, in God through Christ. I have eternal life. So whether or not you're aware of it, whether or not you're thinking about it, whether or not you realize it, there is no place you can go where He's not with you. Now, that's a comforting thought, but it's also kind of a, a troubling thought. And uh, I remember our, our son one time was uh, climbing up, Reed was climbing up on the, in the kitchen because he was looking for my fishing knife. And I had one of those filleting knives, a really sharp knife that just completely fascinated him. And uh, he, he just wanted to see how sharp that was. And he had built some kind of contraption and gotten up on the very top and pulled off my fishing knife. And all of a sudden, Diane hears this blood-curdling scream. And uh, he had cut his finger. And she comes in and he just cried. He said, I cut my finger. And she, of course, talked about obedience and talked about all these other things you do as a mom. And then she said that, Reed, even though I was not in this part of the house, the Lord is there always. Everywhere you go, the Lord, He's there. And if you go in the closet or you go downstairs, you go upstairs, you go out in the backyard and play, He is there everywhere you go. And he's just kind of processing all this. A little bit later, he comes in and, and, he's, and he says, he says, Mom, why is he always following me around? <laughs> well, you think about this, that the Holy Spirit, it's not only a comfort, it's also a conviction. And when, when you think about the, and I, I think a lot of us will go through a day without even being aware of this truth, that every single Christian from a four or five-year-old child who's put their faith and trust in Christ or, or an adult who's, who's become a Christian, the Holy Spirit abides in you always. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. That's amazing, isn't it? And He has sealed you. Just like we, we talked about the, the envelope, that you seal it and it shows a, a sign of security, a mark of authenticity, and a mark of ownership. The Holy Spirit is there always. And what does He do? He helps you. With what? Everything. Everything. You name it. He helps you. And that is God's gift to you. And you have that just as much as I do, and we have that just as much as the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? So He helps you in prayer. He helps you in understanding God's Word. He helps you in being convicted about the right things. He helps in leading in your life. He helps to comfort you. So it is an amazing gift that God has given to us. And the way that we discipline ourselves in this grace 
is being constantly aware of this and engaging practically with the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second gift is the gift of the Scriptures, which we would call collectively God's words given to us that are instruction for us to give us everything we need to live the Christian life. You say, well, there's a lot in here. Yes, there is. And it was written by over 40 human authors, all under the direction of God's Spirit. These are the words of the Lord. Spanning over a 1,500-year period of time, these words are practical and relevant and helpful. And the way that, that they're described is not only true and authoritative, but they're sufficient. God's Word gives us the food, the bread, the instruction, the help, the guidance for everything that we need. And God has given that to you. So God's given you His Word, but again, even though this wave of grace is poured over your life, how do you engage with that? How do you seek that? It's not just reading it, but study, to meditate, to think, and then to obey. God's Word for you is a gift. It's a gift of His grace. And, and as you, you come, so how many times do you, do you open your Bible and you find something, that is just what I needed? And sometimes I think, wow, that is just what I needed. <laughs> sometimes it lifts me up in encouragement, and sometimes God really puts His finger in the middle of my chest like my dad used to, says, son, you need to make some things right. You need to make some corrections. So this is God's gift. I think what an amazing thing for us today to be able to have the Scriptures. There's so many parts of the world where people don't have access to this. And we have Bibles on our shelves around our homes that collect dust. But think of this. God gave you His words. Everything you need for the Christian life. And you can read it. You can study it. You can look things up. You can think about the truth and play it back in your head. A lot of times I, I say it this way, I have to talk truth back to myself. <laughs> to meditate on it and then to obey. That's the second. The third is prayer. And this is uh, the first of the last three that I want to give. The Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, and prayer. <clears throat> I was talking to Craig a little bit before the service. How do you draw a picture of prayer? <laughs> it's tough. How do you define prayer? I, I would attempt to say it's talking with God. It's, it's the full expression. I, I would say it's like spiritual breathing. Prayer is my opportunity as God has spoken to me through His Word. Now I have the opportunity to pour out my heart. David described it this way, times to pour out my heart or pour out my complaint. You know, you can just say everything to God to talk to Him continually, the expression of your life, spiritual breathing, the constant communication. I've listed just a few of these here. One, praise. This is what David did in the Psalms, and the Psalms are so encouraging because there's constant praise for who God is. And you remember we talked about how that uh, the anchor point for our joy is the sovereignty of God? that real and true lasting joy really anchors itself in the sovereignty of God. Because when I know that He is all-powerful, He is all-wise, He is all-knowing, and He's there, and He's good in everything He does, that just that makes me joyful. And you take one of those attributes away, and I start to get a little worried. Like God's really good, but He can't do a thing about it. 
Or God's really powerful, but He's not very nice. You know, we, it really starts to break down. But when you start to praise Him for all of His attributes, all of His characteristics, and so prayer is, is our response back to God expressing thanks for who He is. Thanksgiving for what He has done. So not only praise for who He is, thanksgiving for what He has done. Third, confession for where we are. Now, I think this is kind of funny because you say, Lord, I'm in a mess. Lord, the Lord says, I know you're in a mess. So we don't tell the Lord anything He needs to know. But the fact that I acknowledge, yes, Lord, you are great and awesome and good, and I am in a mess right now, and I'm struggling. You know what I find that's good about God is I can say, I try to do it respectfully, <laughs> Lord, I'm really mad right now. I'm ticked. I'm so angry. I want justice. God knows those feelings. God knows those emotions. And He's not the, he's not the type of God where you have to kind of frame all my words and I've got to kind of get this all put together before it's like, like an English paper. It's not like that. I don't have to articulate this perfectly. It is, it is just the expression of my heart, my confession of my sin, my, the confession of where I am and the confession of my need. So praising God for who He is, thanking Him for all that He has done. It is confessing where I am in my life right now and being just honest with Him. And the last one is petition. It is asking Him for help. And He likens it to this. And He said, if you, being evil, in other words, you're not perfect, really enjoy giving gifts to your kids, how much more will my Father in Heaven give gifts to you that ask. God delights to answer prayer. And so when I come to the end of this, there are so many needs. There's so many needs in my life. There's so many needs in my family. You know, you find this as your family grows, you start having children, and then you have grandchildren. You got a lot to pray for. You just have a whole lot to pray for. So this is a gift. God gives us access to himself through what Jesus Christ did. In, in other words, it opened up the door for us to come into the presence of God. That what Jesus Christ did provided grace that I can pray and I can talk to him any time I want. Have you ever tried to get a get a hold of someone? You had a problem and you got you got on the phone, you tried to get a hold of him, you couldn't get a hold of him. It starts making you really panicking and upset. And uh, you call and call and call and leave a message, you start texting. And uh, I look at my phone, I say, I've got 10, 10 voicemails. I know that <laughs> the next time we get a, I get a hold, there's going to be a lot of excitement. <clears throat> and, and I think that, too, when we, we have a source that we need, we need it right now, it can get really frustrating to know that, that and, and we live in a pretty technological age. I mean, we can get a hold of people pretty quickly, but not like you can with God. I mean, He knows before you pray what you're thinking. He knows what you need before you ask. Isn't that amazing? And so to have that gift, the opportunity for prayer, an incredible thing. Now, you'll really like the fourth one. The fourth gift of grace, trials and testings. And I know right now you're not going to want to write that down in your notes. <laughs> you think, oh, how can that be good? And I would, I would say this, that God will mature you 
and develop your life and develop the lives of your children through testing. When I look back on my own life, I cannot think of one time in my life where I really grew when I wasn't going through difficulties. You know, if I'd say, hey, and there are not too many times where I'd say, hey, you know what, life is great. Everything is just going fantastic. Um, there, honestly, there have not been a lot of times in my life like that. <laughs> I've usually got a few things hanging over me. And you're the same way. So when you get to the point when, you know what, hey, my marriage is good, the kids are good, my parents are good, the job is good, finances are good, life is good, health is good. Man, this life is just great. Uh, well, I just say enjoy the moment. <laughs> because the problem is we live in a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. We live in fallen bodies. And everyone around us is fallen too. They're imperfect. And it doesn't take long to be reminded of the fact you turn on the news, you got a lot of bad stuff, you look in the mirror, you see a lot of problems in your family, financial situations. And so all of these trials, why doesn't God just kind of make it so Christians can be in a bubble? It'd be a lot nicer if you get saved. And God's grace does this. It just washes over you and all of a sudden Christians don't have any trouble. We're just, everybody want to get saved. <laughs> everyone wants to believe. Well, there are several things that God is doing. One, He is working toward, remember we talked about this, this whole race, the sound of the gun where you become a Christian. And the finish line's a long ways away. God is not so interested in all this here as in the end that people come to know Him and live with Him forever. That's, that's what God cares about. Do you know how many people you drive by during the course of a week in this city that don't know the truth of eternal life? This is what God's working for. And one of the greatest ways to display to the world His grace is when we have joy in the midst of difficulties. So there, there is a lot that is accomplished by telling people about the power, the enabling power of God's grace, by giving us the strength and the joy and the peace and the happiness in the midst of the trials. But it's also through the testing that helps us to grow. I think, honestly, it's impossible to grow apart from testing. You think, well, that's great. Because people say, how many here want to grow in Christ? How many of you want to really grow as a Christian? Well, I think we'd all raise our hands to, to varying degrees would express that. But if I would say, how many of you would like to go through a real trial this week? <laughs> none of us would. I mean, none of us would. But through the testing, it's just like the exercise of a muscle. When it gets tested, it gets stronger. And I especially found this over the last decade working with college students. A lot of these students would come, come off to college and they had a faith. They had a faith in Christ. They had a faith in God. They had a faith in the Bible. I believe the Bible. I believe the Trinity. I believe, I believe a lot of things. And they can quote a lot of things to support it. But they'd never really had it tested. They never really had it tested. And it doesn't become your own until it gets tested. 
So I can grow up and say, God is great, God is good, and I thank Him for our food. So I, I was a little kid, I know God's great, God's good. I know that right here. But you know what? When, when everything starts falling apart in my life, the goodness of God gets tested. I start to wonder, is God really good? And that's why we see a lot of college students, even at Christian colleges, start to spin out. They just start to spin out. James, who was a pastor, he's the half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home. He ended up being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he writes a, a short letter at the, near the end. It's right after Hebrews. And he starts off by say, he's, he, saying this. He says, brothers and sisters, he said, when, count it joy when you fall into various trials. Now, isn't that kind of a count it joy when you fall into various trials. Same thing that Paul's saying. Knowing this, that the trying, testing of your faith produces endurance. And that that endurance will result in you moving toward completion or maturity or perfection. The same word we talk about, being perfect, be, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So perfection is the goal. Christ is the goal. And he says, you need to count it joy. In other words, you've got to make a conscious decision. I don't, I don't think we feel that way. So when you have a testing, I don't just feel happy, naturally. He's saying you make a conscious, intellectual, spiritual decision that I'm going to accept this as a gift from God. Now, when is the last time a trial, a test, a hurt, a pain, a betrayal, a difficulty was handed to you and you viewed it as a gift from God of His grace? See, I think it's a lot easier for us to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit, that's a gift, and the Word is a gift, and prayer is a gift. But when we say trials is a gift, God gives you the gift of His grace. And He will also enable you to respond in faith, believing. And most of you that have any Bible background will know this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we, Paul said to the to Romans, and we know that all things, in other words, all the stuff works together for good. In, in and of itself, it's not pleasant. It's not, I don't see this as good because right now that is bad. But he says all things are working together for good. That's hard to believe when you're in the middle of it. But that's why we see that, that and James was saying this, you've got to make a conscious decision. And I, and I believe this when you pray and Diane and I have sat down before, and it's been really hard to say, Lord, we thank you. We will say thank you for this. Now, if someone's listening on the outside, they think we're nuts. But to say thank you. You know, transmission goes out. Thank you, Lord. But you know what? There's a lot heavier stuff than transmissions. You know what I'm talking about? Like life and relationships. But everything, he says, all things, all things work together for good. 
And let me tell you this. This is God made you. He saved you. And He's going to keep you to the end. And right now He wants you to mature and develop and grow. And He's going to give you the gift of, of His Spirit, the gift of His Word, the gift of prayer. He's going to give you the gift of trials. And that's for you. And as you believe Him, you'll grow. If you don't see it and you don't thank Him and you just get mad about it, you're not going to grow. Most of us will tend to, for the first response is to get upset. There's one more that I want to give. That's five, okay? So the gifts of grace from God, His Spirit, His Word, prayer, trials and testings. And the last one is His church. Now, it's interesting when you, and I use the word the church, it's not even in your Bible, even though you're going to read it in English, because the church uh, is a Germanic term that uh, they, they used to describe the buildings that they would meet in. But the church never was a building. Um, buildings can come and go. The church is the gathering of God's people. It's like what we are here today. And, and in two senses, one, you could have all believers in the world that's his church, and that's bigger than we can comprehend. They're meeting, they're meeting all over different time zones today. Uh, that's his church. But you also have the gathering like what we have here today of believers who have come together. <clears throat> and we need each other. God made us to need each other. So he said, and, and I hear a lot of people say, you know what, I get so, so sick and tired of church people and, and hypocrites, and you know what, it's true. Because and I always say, church is full of hypocrites and there's room for one more. Um, because what it is, it's fallen humanity and, and in a lot of ways it's worse than just regular fallen humanity. It's because we're fallen humanity and we put on this air of spirituality that's not real. It's phony. So a lot of people get really turned off with church. So I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about the physical structures. I'm talking about believers who, who get together. And it could be any, any context, any location. You're, you're at your home. You're sitting around together, other believers. And in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, these are both letters from Paul. Paul describes how this body works. The head, and we say that the head pastor is Christ. That's why I say, who's the senior pastor? Jesus. <laughs> He's the pastor. He's the head of the body. And, and only can we have good relationships with each other when we're rightly related to Christ. If I'm, if I'm not related to Christ properly or you're not related to Christ properly, it's going to be hard for us to have good unity, to get along well together. Then he goes on to describe that every part of the body, like the hand, is different than the nose, is different than the foot. But every part... Every person in the body has a place and the purpose is to edify or to encourage one another. So what does the hand do? It encourages others. The foot encourages. And it's not for you. It's not to be self-indulgent so I can take my hand and feed my face. <clears throat> my hands are here to serve. My feet are here to serve. So God may give, like for me, uh, as a pastor, teacher, I'm a teacher. Well, how does God want me to use my, my gift, teaching? He gave it to me. It's a gift of grace. Well, I, I, I want to use that to encourage you. It's not so I can be a great teacher. 
That'd be self-indulgent. So you have gifts of help and of mercy and kindness and, and gifts of leadership and administration and all of these things work together for the edification of the church. And you need other people. You need others. And that's why I think we need to have relationships that are not superficial, they're not phony, there's authenticity, and that we can go to people who actually will build us up and help us. That's how we need to function. And I think, you know, that the, the church is probably the easiest place in the world to be a fake. It really is. You know, because you come in, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm having a beautiful day today. And we just kind of talk all on superficial levels. And typically, we don't want to go beyond that because we don't really think anybody cares anyway. And, or that they could help us. And, and we as a church, I think this is, this is my, my burden is that we as a church need to have a healthy, healthy relationships where we are constantly building one another up, constantly looking to edify, constantly looking to help. Now, <clears throat> what happens when there's a pain or a hurt in the body? In other words, someone or some people or there's a conflict in the church. And we've just experienced this the last few weeks. We've kind of gone through some tough things as, as a church. And you know what? We have and we are and we will <laughs> because we're human. How do we respond when someone's hurting? Let me just kind of give you a quick response and I want to wrap this up. But um, <clears throat> how do we respond to things that are going wrong? And, I, and I, I would give you two passages if you want to look up on your own the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18 and then Ephesians chapter 4. Those are two passages you can read through. Okay, when I hear or when I see something that bothers me about somebody or I hear a rumor or hear something, what's the first thing I do? Number one, assume the best and give the benefit of the doubt. Think no evil. That's hard to do because you know where my mind goes? My mind likes to go, if I see something about someone else or hear something, I, I imagine all the worst case scenarios and I let that just kind of play out in my mind and then typically what I want to do is tell someone. What that does is start a chain reaction of destroying people. And so who do you assume the best about? Which ones? All of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I know, I know what they've done before. Okay, I got you. But I've seen this and this. Always assume the best and give the benefit of the doubt. Think no evil. That's number one. Number two, go to the person. Go to the person asking questions, not making accusations. When you ask a question, it will stir someone's conscience. When you make accusations, it just hardens them. Doesn't it? So if you say, listen, I... Can you explain something to me? I have a question to ask. So you go in asking questions, not making accusations. You're giving the benefit of the doubt. Number three, always work toward resolution and restoration. It should never be, aha, aha, we expose that, or we got justice here, or, you know, I'll tell you what, if we got justice, we'd all be fried, <laughs> Right? No, we always work toward resolution, restoration. 
And, and I would just challenge you, be the person that takes the initiative. You say, I, I sense a problem over here. I sense, be the person that takes the initiative. Don't wait for someone else to do that. If we're a family in Christ, if we're a body in Christ, we give the benefit of the doubt, we go in asking questions, we work constantly to resolution and restoration. And then my last one, you never give up on people. You never, you never, you never give up on people. And you know what? You get burned, you get burned, you get burned, you get burned. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do you forgive? Seven times? What do you say? Seven times, seven. In other words, you keep on going on. And, and here's the thing, that when we say, you know what? I have tried and I have tried and I have tried and I have tried. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to talk anymore. Now, sometimes you can't actively do something because it'll just make it worse. I've found times, you know, if I go, if I go over to their house, they're just going to throw something at me. I used to think, everybody loves a pastor, right? Not always. <laughs> I'm just, and sometimes I, it's not a good thing to go over right now. But when I say never give up, that means I go back home and I'm on my knees and I'm praying and I'm asking God and I never, 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 never give up on people. So I've digressed from my digression, if you followed me. <laughs> Five gifts of grace, the last of these in the church. God has brought you into this world to be a part of a body. And the church needs you. I want you to see that. The church needs you and to function in that way. So we race the race with gifts. Now this is how I'm going to end today. I have five gifts. And there's really a gift in here, so it's not like just a prop. First gift. Remember what it was that God gives us as a believer? Okay, the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm going to give that gift. didn't cost you anything, and it's yours. You can share it too. Let's get it together. Now, as they, it's, it's, they have, it's like grace. Grace is given, and they've received it by faith, and they have it. But to the level they open it up and read it and study it, it's a really good book on the Holy Spirit too. But then they'll grow. And you see, the response of the, from the gift is, is not just saying thank you and taking it by faith. It, there's a discipline. That's why I say the disciplines of grace. The disciplines of grace. The second one is the Scriptures, reading God's Word in the lucky seat. I've been doing this random. And then prayer. And then trials. You're going to really thank me for doing that on <laughs> the trials. And then the church as a body. Now, I'm sorry I didn't have one for everyone. And you know what? If you open that up, you want to give it to someone else, you can. But here, here's... Here's how I want to end this. Remember how we started, we started the series with Derek Redman pulling his hamstring in the middle of the race and he's down on the ground 
And I think that when you come into your life as a Christian and you're, you are really going through it, realize that God's grace that He gave you when He saved you is the same grace that He wants to lavish upon you as you live this Christian life. And He has given you this grace. You need to recognize what it is and how it comes and, and, and believe and receive, but also discipline your life to read it, to study it, to appropriate it. And, and that's how you grow. And here's what happens. When you're growing like that, joy starts just pouring out of your life because you're seeing your life change. The other believers that are here see that and it encourages them to watch you grow. The unbelieving world that doesn't know anything about Christ says, what's up? What's up with that? And most of all, God is pleased. Made perfect, being made perfect all along, and someday, and so he talks about this hope that we're going to be with the Lord forever. And my prayer is this, that you will see the grace of God is not just something that saves you and gives you eternal life, but it is every day what you need. And you keep growing and growing and understanding what it is. And my prayer is that this year, and this has really been our theme for 2014 at Valley, is that we grow. And remember we said we're not talking about buildings. We're not talking about the numbers of people that come on Sunday. Or we're not talking about programs. We're talking about you. We want you to grow as a believer in the grace that is given to you. Father, we thank you so much for your grace so sweet, so sufficient, so powerful. And Lord, as we struggle along in life and look up, help us to see all that you have made possible for us and to give you thanks. As our heads are bowed, and we're going to conclude the service here in just a moment as I finish praying. If in any way we can help you through the course of the week, we want to be able to do that as pastors, or other, others that are here. Your unique situations, some of your unique challenges you're facing today, you may need a friend to help you walk through it. That's what we want to be, to be a friend to help you walk through it and, and to realize what God has given to you. So Lord, we thank you for being here, for directing our steps, for your goodness and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.